Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. I see you. Amen. It's good to have you in the house of God today. Amen as well. First Samuel chapter number four. I want to begin with verse number three. And we are continuing in a series that's just kind of been disjointed along the way with us here and God, our Mythbuster series. But verse number three, the Bible says, when the people were come into the camp, the elders of Israel said, wherefore hath the Lord smitten us today before the Philistines? Let us fetch the ark of the covenant of the Lord out of Shiloh unto us, that when it cometh among us, it may save us out of the hand of our enemies. So the people sent to Shiloh that they might bring from thence the ark of the covenant of the Lord of hosts, which dwelleth between the cherubims and the two sons of Eli, Ophni, and Phinehas, were, with, were there with the ark of the covenant of God. And when the ark of the covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all Israel shouted with a great shout so that the earth rang again. And when the Philistines heard the noise of the shout, they said, What meeteth the noise of this great shout in the camp of the Hebrews? And they understood that the ark of the Lord was come into the camp. The phrase that we are giving consideration to today for Mythbusters is this. God brings good luck. God brings good luck. We're going to consider uh, this this morning with the help of the Lord. Amen. If we can just turn, amen, our voices one more time toward heaven. Oh, God, we come to you today. God, I appreciate you, and we need you, Lord Jesus, in this place. God, I pray, oh, Lord, today, God, stand here as an oracle of God. Do not take that lightly this morning. Help me, God, to do that which is pleasing to heaven that which is pleasing to God. Lord, I'm grateful, Lord Jesus, and know, Lord, I'm accountable for these people, Lord, that sat before me this morning. But God, mostly help me, God, to do something that heaven, God, can look down upon and say, Lord Jesus, God, that that is my good and faithful servant. God, and I'll be satisfied in the lovely name of the Lord Jesus Christ that I pray. Amen and amen. Everyone say amen. Amen. You may be seated. Again, the phrase, God brings good luck there's something that you may have noticed over the past several months that we have been in this Mythbuster series and that is there are a, a few of these phrases that we have uh, looked at and considered and studied that in certain ways they overlap one another and uh, some of the ideas and some of the concepts are so closely related that they they travel some of the similar thought processes as another one of the phrases travel and so this phrase this morning God brings good luck may very well intersect some of the roads that we have previously over already over uh, crossed over and given consideration to because some of these are just so so similar in nature that that they they traverse some of the same ground and some of the same area but this morning to consider the fact or the idea I should say that God brings good luck may also imply just simply by that phrase then that God doesn't bring bad luck. And then, then again, whenever we consider this concept or idea, I would like to pose the question this morning, does God have anything to do with luck at all? 
Uh, the noun luck or the word the noun luck is defined as success or failure apparently brought by chance rather than through one's own actions or the force that brings good or bad. That being said today, I believe that there have been some circumstances and episodes that people wrongly ascribe to being lucky, as we would say it, that were nothing less than the handiwork of God. Uh, and I know sometimes we throw around the term luck. We say good luck or I hope you're lucky. And we, we, I know we throw those things around uh, many times and we don't mean anything by it. It's just phrases that we use in our English language. But there are some that are driven to the fact of that, that there is such a thing of just being lucky. And they have attributed some very divine things that have happened in their life, amen, to being lucky when in fact it has been nothing short but the providence of God at work in their life. And then on the same token, there are times that people have uh, possibly had some negative happenings or negative things that's turned in their life that they said, well, that was just a, that was just a string of bad luck that sometimes really blossomed just from bad decisions, bad decisions in human error that we could chalk that up to and uh, we don't have to blame that on anybody sometimes but ourselves but if God is involved and I state this from the onset today if God is involved it isn't luck if God is involved it isn't luck because per the definition of luck being as success or failure apparently brought by chance let me tell you something God isn't taking a chance at being successful Amen. He's not taking a chance at being successful. And for that matter, God will not take us, you and I, to failure, the school of failure, if you will, by mistake or happenstance or just by chance. As a matter of fact, if God takes us to a place that seems bad, that seems to be like denoted and underscored that this is failure, it may be because there may be a lesson he wishes for us to learn there. And so he takes us there on purpose, not by accident. The Bible speaks to us in the book of Job, and I have some scriptures to share with you from the book of Job today. But Job, all throughout that book that bears his name, spent a lot of time vacillating back and forth between reasoning with God and what God's intentions were for his life, particularly these less than positive things that were happening to his life at this time. And after Job spends a lot of time uh, pondering all these things and his friends weigh in on the matter, the voice of God, the Bible says, spoke to him from his whirlwind of trouble and answers Job after a long time of questions in chapters 38 and 39. And this is something that God said, Job, Job, if you can answer me, answer me some of these questions. If you can tell me some of the answers to these questions, I wish that you would since you are constantly in this ebb and flow about my intentions and my reasonings. And these are some of the questions that he posed to Job in Job 38 and verse 8. He asked Job, Or who shut up the sea with doors when it break forth as if it had issued out of the womb? He said, when I made the cloud, the garment thereof, and thick darkness, the swaddling band for it, and break up for it my decreed place, and set bars and doors, and said, here thereto shalt thou come, but no further, and here shalt thou proud waves be stayed. He said, who, who, who has done 
all this. He's talking about the sea. He's talking about the oceans. He's talking about these large bodies of water that he has caused sometimes to have a place that they go along the shoreline. Anybody that's ever been through the ocean, it's just uh, just absolutely mind-blowing. You have this huge, massive body of water over there and just sand along the shore. And waves may try and transgress that a little bit, but they recede right back. And it's like, man, what, what is the force? What is the line that's keeping that water from coming no further upon the land? And God says, Job, if you consider the seas and the oceans that sometimes it looks like they cross over that unseen line, but they always have to recede back to a boundary that hurricane-type force winds and rain can come and they temporarily are allowed to cross, but they always have to recede. He said, Job, luck has nothing to do with that. That's not, that's not, boy, we was really lucky that the earth wasn't flooded. No, that was the hand of God. It wasn't, boy, we're lucky that the Tasami, amen, didn't just stay upon the land. No, that was just the hand of God. He says, Job, that wasn't luck at all. That was my hand. He's asking Job these things. He asked Job, Job in Job 38, 26, he said to cause it to rain. In other words, who has caused it to rain on the earth where no man is and on the wilderness wherein there is no man. The wilderness isn't lucky that it rained where no one was. No, it's absolutely dependent upon God for its rain. This, when we was gone, it was interesting to me uh, in the state of New Mexico, very arid place, desert. Trees are scarce and almost totally uh, not even existent. And we went by a sign as we was driving down the road and I thought, this is just silly. And they said, we buy and sell water. It wasn't a convenience store. It was a place where there was actually a little bit of body of water. And in the state of New Mexico, they buy, sell, and trade water just like a commodity because it's so scarce. So scarce. And I thought, man, it, whenever they get rain, it's not luck. <laughs> it's a God. Amen. Ordeal. Dependent upon God. He asked Job in Job 38, 41. He said, who provided for the raven his food? And when his young ones crying to God, they wonder for lack of me. The raven's not lucky. Amen. The raven has a creator. Amen. That made it and formed it and that cares for it and that tends to his creation, namely God. The Bible tells us it's not just an Old Testament concept. It's a New Testament concept as well in the Gospels. Of Luke 12 and 27, though Jesus was speaking to the disciples, he said, consider the lilies, how they grow. They toil not, they spin not. Yet I say unto you that Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. He said, if then God so clothed the grass which is today in the field and tomorrow is cast into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O ye of little faith? And seek not ye what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, neither be ye doubtful in your mind. God was telling the disciples, and I think in no uncertain terms, he's saying, hey, your clothing, your garments, your food, and your drink, that's not at the mercy of luck. 
That's not at the mercy of maybe it will or maybe it won't. Your welfare is not hinged upon chance. He says, let me tell you something. God, if he clothes even the flowers and the lilies, if you will, of the valley, that you and I beat down with our foot as we walk along the path, how much more is God going to care for your needs, your clothing, your food? God's got our back. I'm not waking up tomorrow morning hoping I strike luck with food on my table or hoping there's some clothes in my closet. I'm depending upon the creator of the universe that orders all things by his word and his will. And I know it's a God thing. He asked the question, and I'm not trying to belabor a point, but I just want to make it just impressed in our spirits this morning. In Job 38 and verse 13, he's asking some more questions for Job. Gavest thou the goodly wings unto the peacocks, or wings and feathers unto the ostrich, which leaveth her eggs in the earth and warmeth them in dust, and forgetteth that the foot may crush them, or that the wild beast may break them? She is hardened against her young ones as though they were not hers, her labors in vain without fear, because God had deprived her of wisdom, neither had he imparted to her understanding. He's asking Job, he said, Job, what about this animal here described as an ostrich that lays her eggs in the sand and seemingly abandons her young, which is totally different than what a mother would be known to do. She abandons her young, and yet... The eggs are not crushed by a foot or taken by another beast and their survival is maintained. You may say that's lucky, but God says I think not. That is all a part of my hand and my doing. Say amen. They say, well, that's just, that's just mother nature taking its role. I think it's more than that. I think it's the miracle of the father of all time and eternity. Amen. It's a God thing. It's a God thing. Paul said later in Ephesians chapter 1 that this God, not luck, worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. Everybody say all. all. Things. Worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. We said it once, we say it again. He did not have to receive counsel from anybody concerning what he did or what he created, or in order to keep the laws that we call of nature in harmony with the orbiting of the planets. No, 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 no. It is not lucky that the earth is not three degrees tilted more on its axis so that we would be a totally baked place or three degrees the opposite direction that we would be nothing but some wintry tundra where no life could exist. That's not luck. That's the hand of the almighty God. It's God thing. It's a God thing. David said in Psalms 103, he said, speaking of God, that his kingdom ruleth over all. Now, concerning this concept of luck, the ancient Greeks and Romans used to worship luck in the form of a goddess. They worshiped luck. Fortuna, her name was, and it became another word for luck fortune that you hear as well and according to the world's view humans we are this is not everyone's but by and large the world's view that we are at the mercy of unseen powerful and uncertain forces that may even help us or at times hurt us and so as a result of that 
modern day society, there are some that cleave to their lucky charms. And I'm not talking about cereal. <laughs> cleave to their lucky charms and their little amulets, if you will, in order to provide the good luck, quote unquote, that they need in their everyday life. I, though, come to submit to you this morning that the God that you and I serve, the God that is our creator, is not some rabbit's foot that we have deep within our pocket. He's not a four-leaf clover that we've discovered on the ground or some other type of good luck charm that we can cling to in order to bring us the good luck we need. But our God is the omniscient, omnipotent God who works all after the counsel of his own will and according to his purpose he rules over it all all by himself now the presence of God does not guarantee good for you it may just as easily mean bad that's working for your good did not Job say to his wife, what? Shall we receive good at the hand of the Lord? And shall we not receive evil? In Deuteronomy chapters 27 and 28, there's something that takes place there. The spirit of the Lord has already come and spoken to Joshua and even Moses for that matter and told them that whenever they planted passed into the land of promise that they are to set the people on two mounts Ebal and Jerizim if I remember correctly one was to be a mountain of cursing the other a mountain of blessing and basically this is what the things were said they went in in, in, in chapters 27 and 28 where they set the people up on there it seems as though there would be a person there they would recite the cursings and the people would say amen whenever they were finished and then they would recite the blessings and then whenever they did that after each blessing the people would recite amen or so be it and so whenever they did this and here's Joshua their leader they pass into the land of Canaan here's the cursings and the blessings that are pronounced from God now here's the thing God brought blessings to the people whenever they were in obedience to God God brought cursings or might I even say it better like this they brought cursings upon themselves whenever they were in disobedience to God this is what the Bible says in Deuteronomy 11 and verse 26 he said behold I set before you this day a blessing and a curse a blessing if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you this day, and a curse if you, do, if you will not obey the commandments of the Lord your God. But turn aside out of the way which I command you this day to go after other gods which ye have not known. In other words, God didn't bring necessarily good luck into their life or, or, or fortune into their life or fate just settled something in their life, but it was their obedience to God that either brought the favor or the disfavor of God in their life. And so if they were obedient to God, God's present. God's present in some of our lives. I hope he's present in all of our lives. But whether or not we are on the blessing side of God or the cursing side of God largely depends upon our obedience to God. And when you're obedient to God, you get the favor of God, which Solomon said in Proverbs, that, that faith. 
favor is as a cloud of the latter rain. And the latter rain brought to fruition everything you planted in the ground. It caused things to grow and prosper and produce. That's what happens, though, when you're obedient to God, you get the favor. We can't just say his presence brings you good luck. A lot of that is largely upon to our response to that presence of God. And so, even when we consider this concept or idea of bad luck or good luck, that language is often found, even in the Bible, concerning a person that's trying to live life without God. Because <laughs> whenever you're without God, you see through a different lens than what you see through whenever you're living a life with God. A backslid Solomon writing the book of Ecclesiastes, shares his perspective, the Bible says, on life under the sun, which basically means a life without God. It's just a life, just an old earthly, earthly life, nothing heavenly about it. That's his view, his perspective. He's backslidden, he's separated himself from God, and this is what he speaks concerning life without God. In Ecclesiastes 9 and 11, he says, I returned and saw under the sun that the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, neither yet bread to the wise, nor yet riches to men of understanding, nor yet favor to men of skill. But look, this is his view now. But time and chance happeneth to them all. For man also knoweth not his time as the fishes that are taken in the evil net, as the birds that are caught in the snare, so are the sons of men snared in all in an evil time when it falleth suddenly upon them. Solomon was saying that it walked away from God. Time and chance just happens to everything. In other words, it all just happens kind of tumbles and goes. It just kind of tumbles and goes this way. or that. I must have had an antenna attached here to my arm. Amen, it just kind of tumbles and goes. In other words, God doesn't have no dealings with any of this. Folks, that's wrong. That's absolutely wrong. God has dealings within the affairs of mankind in so much that he's interested in the affairs of mankind. The Bible says in Proverbs 16 and verse 33, it says the lot is cast into the lap, but the whole disposing thereof is of the Lord. The law is cast into the lap. If I can state it differently, there are different times in Scripture. About 70 times in the Old Testament, it speaks of casting lots. About seven times in New Testament Scripture, spoken of casting lots. These little lots, literally interpreted, are like pebbles or stones from the Hebrew language. They're pebbles or stones that were thrown into the gathered-up folds of a robe. A man or a woman with a robe on, they would gather up some folds of the robe, and they would cast these pebbles or these stones down inside of the robe it's almost like us putting names on pieces of paper cutting them up putting them in a hat and then drawing them out it's really like it was what it was like so that they had all these stones in, in the folds of their robe and then they would draw them out and that was the casting if you will of lots and that seems like man that's just that's just mere chance but any faithful israelite that was taught recognized that there was a guidance of a higher power and a higher will in most of those scenarios. Amen. Because oftentimes, 
Oftentimes, whenever they cast lots, they were doing so to discern the absolute will of God. And many times before they did that, there was prayer that was made before they ever went to this final act of casting lots. You just didn't go to that first. You tried all the other venues. You, you talked to people, priests, men in your life that, that were guidance of that were godly guidance for your life. You did all that to try to discern all this. But if it was something just so difficult, there seemed not to be a clear way. You would cast lots. You would proceed that with prayer and they would draw them out. And whenever whatever the answer was, you knew undoubtedly that that was the will and the purpose of God of what he wanted to take place. It wasn't anything mystical. It wasn't left up to chance. They understood that this was the handiwork of God. And whenever, when God was consulted, that lot was cast. But the Bible says in Proverbs, the disposing or the verdict thereof belonged to the Lord. We see this at different times through the Old Testament Scripture. Lots were cast to discern who had taken the accursed things from Jericho's victory. And Achan and his family, particularly Achan, was found by casting of lots. That wasn't a chance thing that it happened to fall on Achan. That was a God thing that it fell upon Achan. Lots were cast to discern. Uh, Saul said no one is to eat uh, this day until the evening time. But Jonathan and his armor bearer partook of the honey. And they knew someone had transgressed. And so they're trying to discern it. Figured out they cast lots and the lot fell to Jonathan. That was a God thing. Used in the election of, of King Saul. That he would be the one to be the next king. They cast lots to decipher and determine that the dividing of the land of Canaan. The Bible says that this lot fell into Zebulon, that lot. What is it? They, according to the casting of lots, the land was divided. Whenever the priest was to serve in the temple in some priestly function or office to distribute who got to be a gatekeeper and who got to be over this and that, all that was decided by the casting of the lots on the day of atonement, they had two goats come forth. One was going to be a scapegoat. One was going to be sacrificed for the people. Whenever they did that, the lots were cast in order to decide that. All that did not have anything to do with luck. It had everything to do with God. We well, say, well, Brother McGee, what about then when Jonah was on the boat and he was trying to run from God? And there's some sailors there up on that boat and they're saying, man, this trouble on the sea has come. We don't know why it's come. We're going to cast lots. And the love fell to Jonah. Now how can these ungodly men get this positive result? Because the Bible says those godly men even told Jonah, Jonah, you pray to your God. Right. And Jonah prays to his God, even to his own undoing. Amen. The law is cast and it's decided then who the perpetrator was. It was Jonah. Yes. Come on. Amen. So, but the, the, the casting of the lot, but the disposing, the verdict belongs unto the Lord. It very well may be that these also may reference the Urim and Thummim. That's not something we talk about a lot. But the Urim and Thummim were a part of the priestly garments of the high priest in the Old Testament. There's not a lot of detail in the Bible concerning the Urim and Thummim, but we do know in scriptures, amen, that they were a part of his, his clothing. They were somehow 
on his person through the clothing. And according to Josephus, which is a first century historian, he said the Urim and the Thummim was composed of, of two sardic stones. Each one was some, in some type of pouch in the breastplate of judgment worn by the high priest. And the Bible says that Aaron would go in before the Lord with those on his heart and he would ask divine counsel of God after them and so the law is cast but the disposing thereof is the Lord we wasn't talking about luck we're not talking about throwing dice humanity polluted casting lots you see the first pollution of it at the base of the cross when they divided the garments of the Lord and they cast lots to see who should get this and who should get that they were gambling in certain measures trying to get lucky for who was going to get the garments of the Lord there's something I want you to note this morning 70 times in the Old Testament 7 times in the New Testament but you don't see anybody casting lots after Pentecost because the will of God they were trying to find amen came inside of their life they had divine direction authority and power whenever that spirit came resident in their life he disposed the gave the verdict and still does if you allow him to and be obedient at that point the Holy Ghost filled believers had the onboard guidance of the spirit amen on star yeah. praise God but if I can get to my text now in 1 Samuel chapter 4 in the previous chapter chapter 3 God had revealed to this young Samuel. It's just been here in the house of God not now, not, not real long. He had told Samuel, Samuel, I'm going to judge the priest. I'm going to judge Eli. I'm going to judge his house because there's some iniquity that Eli is aware of, but he's not doing anything about it. There's some iniquity in the kingdom or in the house of Eli and his people, particularly his sons. But Eli's not doing anything about it. So I'm going to judge the house of Eli. I'm going to judge his family. And so when we come to chapter number four, we understand that the Philistines at this time were ruling over Israel and that they went to battle this day, the Israelites against the Philistines. And by the time the day had ended, the Bible records that Israel had lost 4,000 men. And rather than Israel renting their clothes, they're supposed to be God's people. Supposed to be God's people. And instead of them renting their clothes, falling upon the earth with their face in the ground. Because see, the reason why I say that is whenever Joshua had his victory over Jericho and then was going to go to Ai, and they went with just a few people because we believe we can take them because we did so well with Jericho. And they came back from Ai with defeat with their tail tucked between their leg. Joshua's response was this. He rent his clothes. He put his face before the Lord, mainly before the Ark of the Covenant and was asking God, what went wrong? Has something gone on? Yes, there was sin in the camp. And so the Philistines, rather than thinking it's something that they had done wrong, thinking it was something where they were in error, they said, no, we're not renting our clothes. We're not falling on the earth. We got a better one than that. What we need to do is go get the Ark of the Covenant and bring it into this battle. You see two differences right here. Whenever Joshua suffered his defeat, 
he went to the ark. Whenever these people suffered their defeat, they wanted to bring the ark to them. In the middle, and bring it in the middle of their mess. And so God had already promised Moses in Exodus, after the ark of the covenant was made, he says, Moses, I will appear to the people between the two cherubims that are upon the ark and so that's the reason why in so many instances it was revered as the very presence of the Lord. The ark was revered as the very presence of the Lord or if at best the throne of the Lord. Amen. And so the ark represented the presence even of the Lord in battle many times. But only, everybody say only. But only when God directed that the ark should go. Whenever the cloud moved, the ark moved. So it's going to be wherever they're at. They're going to carry it and it's going to be so. We read of different occurrences where the ark was present in battle or in turmoil. The Bible tells us that Moses went to war with the Midianites and there was a great slaughter. But there was someone there, Eleazar, who was the high priest at the time. He was out there at the forefront of the battle. And the Bible said he had the, old, the holy instrument of the law, which was the ark of the covenant. He had it right there with them. And they were victorious. The Bible tells us that the river Jordan was dried up. The moment that the feet of the priests that were bearing the ark touched the brim of the river, it dried up. Great, look what the ark did. Jericho's walls, again, fell down completely flat due partly because the ark of the covenant had been circling around those walls for seven days. Look what the ark did. And perhaps based upon those occurrences, the children of Israel are at that place, no doubt, and thinking, let's go get the ark. Because the ark brought the victory for Moses and the Midianites. The ark dried up the river Jordan. The ark caused the walls of Jericho to fall down flat. Let's go get the ark. And so they go get it. And the Bible says they had great confidence that when they went and got the ark, they were sure that it would save them from the hand of their enemy. I want to station this again. We're talking about the Israelites right now that have sin in their life. Sin in the camp. Sin in the families, particularly the priestly family. And they're saying, let's get the ark and God will save us from the hand of the enemy. What has happened right now at this point in time in 1 Samuel 4 is that no longer is the ark viewed as the throne of God as much as it is a good luck charm or a trinket to aid them right now in their trouble. There was no voice from heaven that said, take the ark into battle. There was no direction from God that said, move it from Shiloh the temple and put it in the middle of your mess. No, the bringing of the ark from Shiloh to their battle was purely a fleshly idea. And the Bible says when the ark got there, that all of Israel shouted and that the earth rang at the arrival. The people are shouting. Man, the earth is ringing. The Philistines are even hearing the commotion. Amen. Because the ark of God has come into the presence of his people. Earth was ringing and shouting but didn't know. The Bible does not record anything going on in heaven. Earth can ring. And heaven might not be moved by an inch by what's going on. Mm -hmm. And so all this is taking place and all this is happening. And the Bible, we understand that at this moment in time when they did that, Israel 
had profaned the throne of God. Israel had profaned the Ark of the Covenant, the God's presence. Why? Because they cheapened, listen, they cheapened God's presence to a good luck charm that they could employ at will. When I need it, I'll get it, and it'll do what it needs to do for me. To profane something is simply this, define to empty something of its meaning. And that's exactly what they had done to the Ark of the Covenant. And the Bible says whenever the battle was done that day, guess what? God brings good luck. If that's his Ark and his presence, God brings good luck. Israel didn't win because the presence of the Ark was there that day. As a matter of fact, they lost. Matter of fact, they lost more than the 4,000 they had lost on the previous day. The Bible says that they lost 30,000 footmen. They lost the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas. Eli's life was lost itself. Phinehas' wife, she died. She was lost, and the Ark of the Covenant was lost. Huh. Oh, it'll bring good luck. You'll do great. Yeah, but you're approaching it as a charm. You're approaching it as an amulet, you're, you're approaching it for what it was not intended to be approached as. And when you do that, all you get out of it and all they got out of it that day was a constant reminder through a child that was born from Phineas's wife called Ichabod, what you're left with, listen to me, what you're left with when you cheapen the presence of God to a good luck charm, what you are left with when you profane it is no presence and no glory. The result was negative. The result was negative. Why, Pastor McGee? Here's one reason why. Because God will not give you victory in an area that contradicts his character and his word. God will not. He told Samuel, I'm going to judge Eli and his house because there's sin there and they're not doing anything about it. And it doesn't matter if you bring the Ark of the Covenant in there as a good luck charm. I am not going to bless, I'm not going to give victory in something that contradicts my character and my word. What do you mean? I'm saying this, put all the crosses you want on you, get all the religious ichthus fishes and place them on your forehead and every other religious symbol around your home, but it would be more profitable if we'd be obedient to God because our obedience to God will get the favor of God, will secure the blessing of God when we're aligned with God's character and God's word. Numbers, the old, the old saying was whenever the cloud moved and the ark moved, they would say this. They would say, let God arise and his enemies be scattered. But in the true spirit of a man that's carrying the ark of the covenant, he must humble himself under it and bear the load of everything it represented. And so for God to arise, men had to descend. For God to arise, men had to descend. And when men decrease, God increases and enemies are scattered. That ain't the only story in the, the word of God where people took something from its original intent and purpose and meaning 
and profaned it and emptied it of its meaning and its purpose. The Bible speaks of a plague of fiery serpents that was going throughout, amen, the children of Israel. It speaks of this in Numbers 21 throughout. They were impacted and affected. And the Lord had told Moses how to make a brazen serpent upon a pole and that if he would raise up the pole, then all those who looked upon it all those with a willingness and a repentant heart that looked upon it and that was affected by the fiery serpent would be made whole and that's exactly what happened. But we see a thousand years, almost a thousand years removed from Numbers 21 to, to 2 Kings 18 that later Hezekiah in his day is taking this brazen serpent that now they had a name for called Nehushtan and they destroyed it along with all the pagan altars and all the pagan symbols. Why? Because the people of God had resorted to it more as a charm, more as an amulet, more as some little luck amen to get the good graces of God they totally polluted what it was intended for it's not the only place we also see in scripture Gideon coming forth as a mighty man of valor as God God rightfully ascribed to him and he does battle and he's victorious with fewer people than what he started with and Gideon saying hey they're saying why don't you be our king Gideon he says no I don't want to be your king he said but there is one thing I do want I want some of the jewels and I want some of the gold and the Bible says that he made an ephod amen made ephod he said I don't want to be your king he said but I'm going to make this ephod it was just a place basically to serve as a reminder. It wasn't there for people to fall down and worship. It wasn't for them to go to and let the Lord do the verdict and the disposing of a matter. No, it was just as a reminder that although I have not become your king, you have a king. Uh -huh. You have a king whose role, amen, goes over all else. But the Bible speaks that evidently the children of God begin to treat that ephod that he made as a little charm, as a little amulet. And the Bible says it became a snare to Gideon and to his house and that all Israel went a-whoring after it. Amen. They, in other words, they esteemed it more than they did their God. They trusted in it more than they did their God. If we don't watch ourselves, we'll get caught up in the modern day society of luck and we'll esteem luck and good chance and boy, it just fell my way today more than we will the providence and the divine will and power of God orchestrating something in our circumstance. Let me tell you, if I leave today in my five minute trip across town and I'm saved from an accident, that wasn't good luck. That was the hand of God. That wasn't me somehow getting off. That was me being online. It's God. It's God. You'll stand with me this morning. So God brings good luck. I'm against such a statement today. My estimation, it's busted. God's presence doesn't necessarily mean good luck in your life. But your obedience or disobedience to his presence will determine a lot of things that flow and go in your life. Divine favor or disfavor of God. Amen. Someone say amen. amen. Hallelujah. We'll continue next week. Not with this one. 
Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.